thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team, it's great to have you here on another episode of The Real Food Reel. Now, our regular listeners will know that we like to change things up here on The Reel. And while our main aim is to speak with and learn from leading experts, we've also started a fantastic series called The Real Food Athlete. We have done this because the stories of those who have had such great success with their nutrition is something I feel we can all learn a lot from, particularly from a practical or a real-world sense. I hope you have been enjoying the episode so far, and without further ado, let me introduce you to our next Real Food Athlete, Joe Coombe from Melbourne, Victoria. Hi Joe, and welcome to the Real Food Reel. Hi Steph, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. Now, I'm really excited to have you on the show because I know a little bit about your story, and obviously that's part of the reason why you are here today. So can you start for us with your story and even as far back as what you're doing from an endurance point of view and, and really how you got started. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm an Ironman triathlete. Um, I was, I'm, I'm actually an ex-rugby player, so I um, dramatically changed my sport in, back in about 2005. Um, just started um, doing a bit of running and cycling for endurance, really, and it all just progressed from there. Um, I did my first Ironman in Port Macquarie in 2008. Um, I was pretty much self-coached and just learning on the fly in terms of things like nutrition and and everything. And then um, I progressed from there to um, racing more Ironman triathlons. My first bit of real success came in 2011 in Ironman France where I managed to come second in my age group, qualify for Hawaii, um, and I went and then raced Hawaii that year. Um, I did okay in Hawaii, not brilliantly, but, um, you know, (laughs) Hawaii's pretty brutal, so I was happy with that. Um, And, yeah, then I came back, did the Great Ocean Road Marathon in 2012, and I was fifth there, um, and smashed my marathon PB. I then went through about six months of unfortunately real sort of fatigue symptoms um overtraining you might want to call it but i think it was um sort of an element of adrenal fatigue as well and possibly just going for too long without a decent break um unfortunately i came out of that and um i've slowly built back up again and i raced on malaysia in september last year 2014 and managed to win my age group there and have qualified again for Hawaii. So I'm going back to Hawaii in October this year. Back to Kona. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been in the sport for some time now. So obviously you've learnt quite a bit along the way. Have you got a real food message that you'd love to share with us? Something that you've sort of really developed over your time in triathlon, in Ironman specifically? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I suppose from the 
very early days, I was just winging it, if you like, and obviously I'd read about the kind of recommendations for nutrition, for racing and whatever. But I just used to go with whatever was on the course. And I think back in those days, it was like Gatorade or Power Bars or whatever, very high sugar type nutrition and gels. And um, I used to, I certainly used to have these massive sort of, what I suppose is often called bonking in in training, um, in the middle of the day. Um, you know, I'd like get real feelings of low blood sugar and um, feel like I was going to pass out all the time. Uh, I then started to try and adapt to a bit more of a um, just a whole food type approach. So much slower release carbs when I did eat carbs, but also more protein and, um, and higher fats. And I was sort of a, a real fat phobe in the early days. To be healthy and to be lean for racing, I needed to go low fat, you know, as so many people do. So um, but what I started to realize just intuitively was that I seemed to go better uh, when I wasn't stuffing loads of sugar down me. So in training particularly, I started, started long rides fasted occasionally, um, and I'd read from one or two people that this was quite a good idea for Ironman because it developed your ability to fat burn and, and essentially we're always in the fat burning zone if we're not then there's something really wrong in Ironman you're going to blow up so I sort of started to do that kind of thing I started to fuel um, on training rides um, for high intensity sessions I might have had a few more carbs but um, just intuitively I, I, I developed that kind of a regime and certainly in France, um, I would say in that race, I took in less simple carbs than I ever had in any race before, um, and, and, and more so as the race went on. So in the, in the run in Ironman France, and to put it in context, I ran a 328 off the bike, which was, I think, the fifth fastest female run of the day. Um, I probably had one to two gels and some flat coke in the entire marathon. So that was like, that blew me away because everybody says, you know, get as much in as you can. Or, or most people that I've spoken to have said, you know, keep fueling as much as you can. Keep fueling as much as you can. Um, on, the, on the flip side, my husband, Peter, in that race had severe gut issues. Um, and he put that down to the fact that he he'd taken in too much nutrition on the bike. And so he actually ended up throwing up during the run. So we had vastly different experiences. I then spent a couple of years actually playing around with different fueling strategies, and especially after the fatigue, because a lot of people... I, I also, by the way, I did the Great Ocean Road prep on a more of a, um, a fat-adapted style diet and um, training fat-adapted and went brilliantly but a lot of the um the doctors i spoke to and i also spoke to a dietitian during the, the the fatigue that i had and the advice i was given was i was probably too light and i needed to eat way more um, and i followed their advice um, i gained a lot of weight we're talking sort of 10 kilos um and i recovered but I, did, I decided then to try training with a lot more carbohydrates. And I actually followed a very high carbohydrate, um, certainly training regime. And just look, personally, I don't think I went nearly as well on that kind of regime. 
I did an Ironman during that regime in Los Cabos, and I did my slowest run off the bike in that Ironman. And then I also, um, I'm trying to think what else I, what are the, oh, I, I raced Mandura 70.3 and also he- heavily fueled that race. And I felt very sluggish. Um, I carbo loaded very hard, whereas in the past I'd kind of increased my carb intake in the lead up to a race, but not dramatically carbo loaded. Um, and so I went back to my old old style of fueling for Malaysia and um, certainly in the lead up to the race I became um, I came back to my sort of what I'd say my original race weight had been um, and I hadn't hit that for three years um, but I was healthy you know I didn't feel any of the symptoms of fatigue I just did it very slowly and I certainly did all my long rides I started them fasted and then I would start bringing in some nutrition at, say, the hour mark or the 90-minute mark of a long ride. And, again, at Ironman Malaysia, on the run, I mean, it was very hot, so it was very, very difficult to try to start taking in nutrition on the run or, you know, sugary nutrition. Um, So I kept up my fluids, but um, I probably fueled on as little as I did in Ironman France, and I ran the 60-second fastest run of the day in the field. So... Um, you know, really, my best three running results have all come off quite a a low fueling strategy. Wow, there's so much in there that I want to break down, but you really sure. have gone. <laughs> you really have gone full circle, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. And um, and look, I feel I feel um, more healthy and certainly uh, more energetic now than I did during all that period when I started to fuel more heavily on carbs. I'm, yeah, I'm right. sure of that. So the first thing I love, and I think it's what I love the most, is that intuitive approach. I mean, it's really great to do some research and certainly fantastic that athletes these days are really across their nutrition and their and their fueling. But I think sometimes we get a little bit bombarded by that when really we need to be able to pay attention to what our body needs and certainly how we respond with that trial and error approach. So I love that you've done that. And that was quite early in the piece. I mean, 2011, sports nutrition wasn't anywhere like where it is these days. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, By then I was fueling myself on um, a product which I now use um, all the time in races, um, which is a lot easier on the stomach and um, a a lot more natural based anyway and I just I I found that by trial and error so I I was racing on that by then yeah yeah beautiful and so I'm quite interested in the comments you've made around the fatigue and and what you maybe have predicted to have been adrenal fatigue I want to dive in there a little bit with you Joe because I think it's actually really quite relevant the low carb high fat movement is huge as we know and certainly the the connection with metabolic efficiency and fat adaption. But I do think that sometimes we can take that a little bit too far. Was yeah. your fatigue, you think, related to, say, your macronutrients or your overall fueling, obviously an element of overtraining, but can you summarise what you thought or what you think was um, contributing to that? Yeah, look, I, what I think now is that um, I had this amazing two years of training and racing and had just didn't have enough of a break during that time 
um, for my body. So I, I took, you know, three to four weeks off after each of my big races and, and physically that allowed me to recover. But deep down, I think it didn't really, I mean, muscularly, when I say physically, deep down, I don't think I'd recovered from any of those races. And so, um, and, and backing, backing up Hawaii from France was only a 14 week um, sort of gap. So I think it was just too much, too much hard training and racing over a fairly short period of time, along with, from the nutrition aspect, being very lean. So, um, you know, I was um, less than 10% body fat when I raced Hawaii. Um, now, so are many, many other female athletes when they race Hawaii, but I didn't then allow my body the time to rebuild and and to gain some of that body fat, you know. I went straight into a, another marathon prep pretty much straight afterwards. So um, I now believe 100% it was partly due to body weight and, and, and fat and not having enough, but also just look, I mean, I'm, I'm like every other a-type personality endurance athlete out there, I was driving myself in every aspect of my life. Um, so the adrenal aspect came from, you know, I was doing a PhD at the time. Um, so juggling a PhD with trying to excel in my sport along with everything else. And so was it even really that much based on the nutrition? Yes, I think because I was so lean for that long. And I probably needed to um, have a period of time where my energy intake per se was much, much higher um, or net energy intake. And I think that's the lesson I've learned is I came back from Malaysia and I've allowed myself to gain five kilos without, I mean, we, you know, we all look and go, wow, I've lost my six pack. But I know that I need that in order to be happy to go into my Hawaii prep. Yeah, so at least you've got that perspective now. Like you've um, sort of learnt the hard way, which is unfortunate, but that's not yeah. uncommon. But what you've been able to do over the years is develop your strategy and certainly continue to fine-tune it year in, year out. So I love that. And I mean, adrenal fatigue is not uncommon. I think perhaps it's maybe not spoken about as as much as it is um, high in frequency in, in triathlon and particularly in the Ironman side of things and you know it's something we're going to cover a bit deeper in the real food reel in future episodes so right. thanks for touching yeah. on that but I mean some the big take home is is certainly I think the intuitive approach but then finding some balance I mean we really need to still be able to support our bodies and support our hormonal systems and that is possible racing Ironman but you just need to keep that balance in place. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, the, the female body is designed to, you know, carry fat at certain times and, and we have to allow it to do that. Um, so, you know, by all means, we're not, I'm not a professional. I don't have to be racing every two to three months. So I have the, I have the time to allow my body to go back to some sense of normality. Yeah, I mean, 10% uh, is not sustainable for any female. No, no, but I, I think, you know, I'm still trying to follow during this period. I'm sort of in a, a semi-off season now. You are. I'm, try, I'm trying to follow more of a, of a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet because I feel better on it now. Uh, but I, uh, you know, if I feel like some bread, I'll have some bread. I'm not, um, I'm not completely restricting myself, you know, so 
Yeah, and if I'm hungry in the morning at the moment, I might eat before I go out on the bike rather than trying to fat adapt because I'm not trying to train that system at the moment. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's quite periodized, which I think it needs to be. And certainly fasted training is one of the best ways we can improve our metabolic efficiency. But you don't need to do 10 out of 10 sessions for us. That's that's not even practical from a physiological point of view. You touched on earlier how for high-intensity sessions and certainly races, you have been fueling with slightly more carbohydrates, and and that makes sense. When we're racing it, you know, or training at 80, 85 or higher from a percent heart rate or VO2 max point of view, our body needs more carbohydrates. So again, being able to adapt your nutrition based on your session or periodize based on your program phase is super important. So that's another fantastic message. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So Um, another point I wanted to dive in deeper with you was you mentioned that the low fat era, you've obviously been around that and certainly I think it sounds like previous strategies have centered around a lower fat approach. Can you share with our listeners what you've done to sort of move away from that and even just psychologically change that, that mindset? Because I do know that athletes struggle with that. People, some still think that fat makes you fat and there's, there's that real fear that we've been indoctrinated with for the last sort of 40 or 50 years. So love to hear some strategies that you've got there. Yeah, so I suppose, I mean, really, that all started for me back in the rugby days, to be honest, because um, I played pretty seriously, and we had uh, we had somebody come in and talk to us about our nutrition um, when I was playing for, for the Wales team, and I can remember them saying, you know, don't eat, don't eat things that are high fat because you need the carbohydrates more and the fat will fill you up too much, you know. And that makes absolute sense if you want the high carbohydrate diet. So I suppose it started like way back then. Um, but also just this whole philosophy of, you know, to lose weight or to be lean, you should cut out the fat because it's too many calories per gram, you know. So... Um, and if you're counting calories, it was kind of, well, you get more of a bang for your buck by eating carbs. <laughs> you know, you can fill, fill your plate more with carbs. So I can see where it comes from. I can see where it, why it gets into your head. Um, and, yeah, so I just used to I used to avoid oil. Oh, no olive oil on my salad, please. You know, and I'd just pour vinegar all over it and stuff like that. And, you know, now and I'm a, I'm a vet by I'm a qualified vet, so I understand that you need fat to absorb half of the nutrients that you eat, and yet I was still ignoring that for myself. You know, so I suppose now I'm just looking at it like that: that you know, I need the fat to optimally absorb nutrients. I want to be healthy, so my my goal now is to be healthy, not to always be at my what I perceive my optimum race weight. And let's face it. Who knows really what their optimum race weight is? So I want to be healthy. And so when I'm putting together a meal, I'm looking at the balance of the meal. So I'm actually adding more fats now as opposed to carbs. If I add carbs, I mean, I I love carbs. So I'll have, if I really want some bread, I'll have bread with my breakfast now because that's straight after I've trained and that makes sense to me, you know? So Dinner is, um, you know, big plate of veg salad, but I'll now put a load of olive oil on it, or I'll add avocado or um, a nuts. I've now become a nut fan, and I was a massive 
anti-nut person, <laughs> you know, which is just, uh, yeah, really crazy. But um, I suppose if you see it as a bad food, and that's, that's the thing, I think, is to stop seeing foods as good or bad, but more healthy or not so healthy, you know. So I'm trying to eat as minimally processed foods as possible or no processing whatsoever. Um, I so I you know yeah I'm buying raw nuts. Um, I've got a I've got a fridge full of all different types of nuts now, and that's my go-to snack. Whereas it used to be rice crackers, you know, yeah. <laughs> so different, so different. So um, I guess that's how I'm changing it, and and also. The other thing is, I think it's really important to listen to your, we talked about being intuitive, um, now I ask, am I hungry? Um, so instead of thinking, I need to cut calories or I need to cut fat out, I ask, am I hungry? Um, and some of the powers that be, and this is what has upset me, I think, over the whole fatigue issue, I was told you can't wait until you're hungry to eat because you're burning too many calories for that. You have to just keep eating. So, I mean, I was told to eat five times a day and it was all, you know, it was massive amounts of carbohydrates. Well, they go hand in hand, uh, don't they? I mean, that's the message. I think the, the food pyramid and the traditional sports nutrition approach is certainly high carbohydrate. And then yeah. at the same time, you only get sort of 90 minutes, maximum two hours out of that meal. So you're having to eat so often. Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's really hard to manage, particularly with the, the high volume of training where, you know, you certainly do have to tweak things to gain satiety. And real food and particularly the higher fat intake will provide you with that satiety. And that's the, yeah. the big message, I think, to to take away how different your meal composition is and, and how long until you need to eat again. That's right. And, and I mean, I, I haven't counted a single calorie in the last year or so, but I, I suspect if I did, you know, I might be hitting the same number of calories as I was when I was eating five or six times a day. I'm only eating maybe three uh, mm. with maybe a handful of nuts as a snack. So... Um, yeah, it's fascinating. It's a whole different mindset. Um, but you know, we've, my husband and I have, have looked at different, different nutrition that we can take on rides. And he's found, um, some bars in Aldi of all places that, you know, are just literally nuts, honey, and some, and some chocolate. And they're $3 a box instead of $3 a bar. You know, and so they've got fat, protein, some carbohydrates, and he's using those on his training rides, and he's absolutely flying on them. You know, so I think it's um, it's fascinating. But we would never have bought something like that before because it had nuts in it. And why would we train on, with something that has nuts in it? You know, so um, yeah, it's really interesting. I'd have been buying the white muffin bars years ago if I was buying anything from a supermarket. <laughs> The jam donuts. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. So I love that you're both on a real food approach for your for your nutrition for your day to day as well as your fueling. Yeah. Can you share with us more about say if that changes for a lead up or race day and and what you sort of do closer to say something like Kona? Yeah. So I mean, firstly. Just going back to the things like the bread or um, and I, look again, I, I prefer to eat if I do eat bread, I prefer to eat a you know a, a, a stone ground sourdough bread that's been hasn't been heavily processed with loads of 
preservatives in it and things like that. So it's still closer to whole food than not. Um, but I might introduce more of that kind of thing into my breakfasts when I'm training heavily, just to get some more carbs in. I'll um, certainly. So as I as race day approaches, um, I mean, I, th- I personally I think the taper, the two two weeks or three weeks of the taper, is a perfect time actually to cut back. That's a good time to. And for Malaysia, that's when I last lost that last kilo or so that I'd been sort of playing around trying to lose but hadn't quite um, and I hit my race weight pretty much the week leading up to Malaysia so I think that the taper is a good time to actually pull back on the carbs but I do still eat more carbs in that last couple of days before the race um, I'm an absolute ice cream fiend <laughs> so that's my sort of um, that's I suppose that's my chocolate if you like um, so I'll let myself have some ice cream in those last two days. Um, but uh, And I'll just introduce a, a few more carbs. But I don't now follow that, you know, prescribed so many grams of carbohydrate per kilo body weight per day, which it just entails you stuffing your face for 24 hours, basically, or drinking sugary drinks. So I still try and keep it very natural, a lot more whole foods with a little bit of ice cream supplementation. <laughs> There's that balance um, conversation again. Sorry? There's that balance conversation again, you know. That's right, that's right, yeah. <laughs> no, so, I think um, that's... And then for race day itself, um, so now I'll have a, um, a sports bar that is more natural. So um, uh, am, I, am I allowed to say it's a hammer bar? Yeah, that's um, fine. There? But yeah, I like that because it's just made up with um, you know almonds and cashews and, and honey, and it's all just blended up, and it's really easy to digest race morning. So I do have something first thing race morning, um, and then during the race itself, it's um, look. It's so it's mainly a bottle, one bottle that's made up of a um, it's a, a maltodextrin based energy drink so it's not simple sugars per se and there's some protein in it and then I supplement that with some natural gels that are mainly fruit derived so and then as I say on the run I I mean I fully believe when you're racing as well 90% of the people I've heard that have had gut issues in the race I honestly believe it's because they've followed their race nutrition plan to the letter, even when their gut's been telling them to stop, you know, so um, the best bit of advice I was ever given was before my first Ironman, and somebody said to me, if you start to feel sick, or you start to get stomach cramps, stop taking in anything except water, um, and then if you if it settles down, you can start trying to think about taking nutrition in again. Um, which makes perfect sense because if your gut's telling you, hey, I don't want any more, it doesn't want any more. So um, I think that's where in races, I, I, I mean, I can honestly say I've never had a gut issue in a race. And yet in training, certainly in the early days, there used to be very few things I could really stomach in training at all. Because I used to find, you know, especially on the bike, my, my stomach would contract and I'd find it really hard to get food in. So... Um, yeah, I think in a race, I listen to my body, I take nutrition in according to a plan, um, but it's nowhere near, like nowhere near the number of grams of carbs that some dietitians recommend and certainly that some of the sports websites would recommend. Nowhere near. 
Yeah. So I had to calculate. Look, for Ironman France, I think I worked it out that I was taking, uh, I think it's, it worked out to, to be something like 50 grams of carbs per hour on the bike up to about the four-hour mark. And then I know after the four-hour mark, I tend to find it harder. So it would actually drop after that mark. Uh, but that's I was I was racing at around sixty kilos, so that's nowhere near what they recommend. Yeah, that's so true. So um, I also think you've obviously worked on your fat adaptation with some of the strategies that you've been trialing over the years. So there's certainly no reason why you do need that much because right. your body's so much more efficient. And that is the answer when we're looking at events over four hours because people run into trouble when, say, the race extends beyond the duration of the training sessions that they're good at doing week in, week out. Like, every Ironman athlete does a six-hour training day, more than once, but rarely do we do seven, eight, nine, ten, or 17. So the fueling, when it becomes an issue or when the gut issues begin, is, you know, 99% of the time in that back half where people are still trying to shove 60, 70, 80, 90 grams an hour, even though they're feeling horrible or even though it's hot where we know we need less carbohydrates, more hydration. So, again, that's the intuition, being able to adapt to race day conditions and certainly how you're feeling. Definitely, definitely. I think. I mean, yeah, I think if, if there's any message, it's that one that, you know. And, and also that... Um, as you say, we we are designed to be able to burn fat. And I think it was Mitch Anderson, the ex-professional triathlete, that, and he's the doctor, said, you know, we have, however lean we are, we still have enough fat in our body to, to, to allow us to survive for up to a week or something with no food. So, or it might be even more than that, I don't know. But, you know, if you've trained your body to do it then there's plenty there you know it's bottomless almost certainly for an Ironman day um but the other thing I suppose from the training aspect is many many particularly age group athletes that I know I think the pros get it right more than we do many many age group athletes train much 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 harder than they could possibly race you know, so they go out, they do a four-hour ride, and they're doing that four-hour ride at way, way higher a heart rate than they could possibly fat burn in. And if you don't do those, I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of the 11 or 12-hour bike day where I'll go around the bay in a day or I'll go and do the Alpine Classic, which is 200K, because I think they're the events that really train you to do Ironman. Um, and you can take all day to do them. You can do them at, at you know, snail's pace. Um, but they teach you how to do that fat burning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you make some more fantastic points there. Like you mentioned before when you were racing, you've been about 10% body fat. You know, yeah. that's probably something like, you know, that's 60,000 calories or nearly 40 times the amount that you've got on board compared to, say, your muscle glycogen. So if you get good at accessing that, that fuel reserve, you've got, yeah, you've got 40 times more than what you can consume. That's right, yeah. And I think one of the really simple sort of equations people can start to think about is, and these numbers are general, but you might have 2,000 calories of muscle glycogen, but you're burning 1,000 calories an hour, and you can only put in, say, 250. I mean, you don't need to be a mathematician to realize that when you get past a four-hour event, 
the 2,000 calories of muscle glycogen has been used and then you're burning 1,000 and you're eating 250, there's a massive gap. And that's where bonking happens. People run out of fuel. Yeah. So when you can tap into your fat reserves, it's unlimited. And you should be able to see consistent splits in the back half of a marathon. That's the biggest indicator of a metabolically efficient approach. Yeah. And you've had yeah. some amazing marathon times. I'd give anything to do a three twenty eight off the bike. <laughs> and that was so that was an even split that that day. Um, and so was so Malaysia. I ran four hours, but um, given the conditions, you know that was obviously a pretty fast time. And that was an even split as well. Now, I I you know I really challenge anyone to ask the so called you know experts out there if an even split in an ironman marathon is 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 possible because most people say you can't even split an ironman marathon i think that's because most people go out higher than that fat burning level and then they have to pull it back and they're forced to and so you know and that's fine if people want a strategy that means they build in that that positive split then that's cool as well but hey look i'd rather finish strong than finish finish walking you know so absolutely yeah 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 wow cool so let's summarize that with a little bit more sort of personal information what would you say your number one piece of nutrition advice is to even like beginner athletes or someone doing their first iron man or just an endurance athlete in general wow <laughs> um <laughs> The first piece of advice is think about, I think, in terms of your overall diet, think about eating healthily. Don't just think about, you know, um, whether it's good or bad. And, you know, you, you hear, the, hear people that are new to the sport and look, they're just enthusiastic. They want to, they want to start getting leaner or they want to start performing better. And they think that there's the right way and the wrong way to do that. And I just think if you just think about being healthier, eating healthier, you'll start to gravitate that way instead of, oh, my God, that's off my list of things I can eat. And then going and binging on it, you know, when, you, when you've had a few drinks or something like that. So <laughs> having the balance, you know, um, you, you do need the balance. And you need, you need times where you just eat whatever you like. I think um, but it's that you know everyone talks about the 80-20 rule or whatever in all these things and so I think aim to go towards a healthier eating pattern I think when you're first starting honestly if most people are used to a fairly high carbohydrate intake then when you're first starting I think you probably do need to be carrying some ready carbs because we I mean we, we, we went out in the early days and we'd go and do a two and a half hour ride and yes when we hit that two-hour glycogen window, we'd be nearly weaving all over the road. So, you know, you have to think about safety as well. Um, so I think you need to build that fat adaption slowly and carefully and carry some gels with you or, or stop and buy something with some sugar in it if you feel like you have to. You know, you can't go all or, all or nothing, I don't think. No, and um, there's certainly good carbs and not-so-good carbs. So, I mean, endurance athletes can get all the energy they need from a natural carbohydrate so if you're organized and carry that with you whether it's a homemade bar or one of the more natural organic paleo bars then certainly that's going to be the best option because it's as real as possible 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, yeah, have backup plans, carry those kind of things with you, but then start your strategy. If you, if, if you want to really learn, I honestly do believe it now, that if you want to really learn to, uh, well, be a fat-burning machine, I mean, essentially that's what we're trying to turn our bodies into. So if you want to really learn that, just start some of these fasted sessions and I personally I find it easier to do it on the bike than to run I have done some fasted runs um or you know I've started them fasted and I can do it but I don't know you sometimes just feel that much more sluggish and you've got you know you're feeling a little bit weaker I just find so on the bike you can do it you can slowly build into your ride um but do it slowly, and um, but I think you do need to be consistent with it, just as with anything. So if you want to do it as part of an Ironman prep, I'd say, you know, maybe that, that long ride once a week, start it fasted, and do that every week. Otherwise, I think your body doesn't know really what you're trying to, trying to do. Yeah, well, you just continue being a really good sugar burner, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> cool. And can you share with us what a day on your plate looks like? You mentioned you're sort of down to about three meals with maybe a small snack. How do you structure that around training and racing? Yeah, so my ideal day, um, in a, you know, in standard, in standard training, which would be my sort of, let's say, early Ironman to mid-Ironman build, um, I, I, I prefer to start training fasted most days um so unless it's i know it's going to be a really high intensity session i'll i'll have a coffee first thing um if i'm hungry when i wake up i might pop i'm a i've i've developed this love for the coconut butter you know like the the loving earth one the coconut butter so i might dollop a bit of that in my coffee now uh, and then i go out and train um generally if it's less than a 90 minute session I won't necessarily fuel it if I know that I'm going to be doing lots of intervals and towards the back end of the intervals I might start you know running out of a bit of gas I'll carry a gel with me um or as you say the homemade star bars I've done that some of that kind of thing so um and then big breakfast so I now have a big breakfast I'm not trying to watch or what should I or shouldn't I have on my breakfast I just and I go intuitively now so um, some mornings I do feel like granola and I'll buy granola. I, we often eat breakfast out. So um, I love, yeah, I, I make my homemade granola with things like buckwheat. So I roast them up and um, love them with a load of um, now full fat yogurt. It used to be low fat yogurt. So I do still, I still have dairy. Um, and I'll, I'll often put a load of fruit on my breakfast as well. Just, my, you know, fresh fruit or frozen I love frozen mango, so I might throw that through it. So that's a typical breakfast for me. But then some mornings I'm just craving eggs, and so I'll have poached eggs, um, avocado, you know, um, loads of spinach, so pretty much like a veggie fry-up. And then I tend to find now if if I have a really good breakfast like that, I can often go through to lunch and I haven't even thought about snacking. Whereas in the earlier days when I was having the more high-carb breakfasts, I'd need something by 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Then lunch, I, what I love more than anything is a massive bowl of salad, chopped up veggies. I mix through tahini, um, chickpeas, and then sometimes some some tuna or some chicken or something like that love beetroot so i hack up a load of beetroot 
but as sort of unprocessed and raw as possible at lunch. Um, but that doesn't sit well. Again, listening to the body, that doesn't, that kind of lunch doesn't sit great if I'm going to do a run in the afternoon. Just, I suppose, that much fiber. Um, kind of, I tend to just feel a, a little bit like it's all sitting in my, in my intestines while, while I'm running. So I might just back off on the, on the raw veggies, not so much of the beetroot or the, the carrots and things like that, you know? Um, but, and then, so what I find that might mean is that I haven't had quite enough to eat at lunchtime to see me through to my training session at night if I'm running at night. Um, and that's where I might now have a handful of nuts. Um, if I really think it's going to be a hard session, I might have some fruit as well so that I'm getting some carbs in. Um, but now, as I say, as unprocessed as possible. I used to be eating muesli bars and processed bars and things like that at that time of day because I think, oh, I need to get a load of ready carbs in, you know. And I, actually, I think I was probably hitting my training session already on the on the you know on the downturn from the big insulin spike that I was creating. So yeah, not uncommon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now I'll try and have something that'll see me through at least to the you know to the run, and then. Post evening training, I try and get in a good load of protein. So I love fish. So um, salmon, um, grass-fed beef. Um, so I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm also a vet, so I like to um, look at the ethical side of the of my meat. Um, certainly, so free-range or grass-fed meats um, and sustainable fish as well. So I'm not a real greenie, but I think it's really important. <laughs> when we look at those kind of things with our diet now um and yeah another whole heap of veggies and salad depending on how i'm feeling um and in the winter you know i'll i'll stick the the slow cooker on and do great big casseroles and things like that so that i've got something good to come home to at night beautiful i love that that's an excellent day on your plate thanks <laughs> Cool. So I asked this question to all our guests, although we know that you're off to Kona later this year. So we do know what's sort of big on your agenda. But what's next for Joe Coombe? Um, well, I've got the bloody big swim on Saturday in Melbourne, which is an 11.2k marathon swim. So while I say it's my off season, that's kind of why I laughed a little bit, because um, it's my off season for triathlon, but I've been doing a lot of swimming. So um, yeah, it's been a completely new challenge for me and um, a real eye-opener as to what some of these marathon swimmers actually put themselves through. Um, and I've only, you know, touched the tip of the iceberg. Um, so I'm doing that on Saturday and then I'm, I'll start to transition back into a little bit more of a triathlon focus. Um, and I've got Vietnam 70.3 in May. So I'm going to try and build up and have a I'm not. I don't. I'm not too attached to how well I go there, but I want to have a fairly good race there. Um, and you know, the idea is that that kickstarts my Hawaii prep. So um, I'll build up and do more 70.3 style training, and then uh, when I get back from Vietnam, full steam ahead for Hawaii. Yeah, it sounds like a big year ahead. Yeah, yeah, but it's exciting and. Yeah, I'm going to try and keep it as balanced as possible as well. <laughs> I will hold you to that. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> when I'm looking stressed and going, oh, my God, what's wrong with my swimming? Yeah, just for the listeners, uh, Joe and I actually swim in the same squad, so I see her a couple of times a week. So I will, yes, I will keep you on your toes. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> 
that's been so good. So many gold nuggets in there. And I really appreciate you sharing your journey and obviously all your successful strategies. And I hope our team listening today has really learned a lot. Um, so is there somewhere that our listeners can find you? Do you blog or are you on social media? Uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm happy to, you know, um, chat to people on Facebook. So, um, uh, I do write a blog. Um, I, I've got one going that's called um, uh, "My Journey to Kona Part 2, or the ro- sorry, the Road to Kona Part Two, which was all about actually trying to get back there in the first place. So um, I wrote a little bit before Malaysia, um, and I'll be picking that up again on the way on the way towards Kona. So um, yeah, if you Google that, it's on Blogspot, I think. Beautiful. We'll put yeah. the the links in the show notes so we can follow your journey on on the way to Kona round two excellent thanks a lot Steph awesome Joe thanks so much for coming on the real food reel and I look forward to hearing about the weekend so the bloody big swim and um, I'm sure we'll touch base again really soon yeah thanks a lot for having me see you soon bye okay bye this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.